It is another edition of Talking Football Direct, the Minnesota League Show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, you know, we're kind of wondering something. Just how good is this Bundesliga thing anyway? After what we saw in Europe at midweek, maybe, eh, but, uh, you know, after Sunday... Maybe, yeah. With me to sort of ruminate over this big question as well as all the small questions that crop up in any given Bundesliga match day is your favorite guest, Rona Murphy. Thanks very much. Uh, I'm not sure whose favorite guest I am, but maybe I'm, I'm one person out there's favorite guest and that one person is listening and they're thinking, yes, you're speaking to me right now, Matt. And uh, it's, a, it's a good a good day, a good day for everybody. It's it, it's Lewis Dunk. Committed listener. Oh, yeah, I'd say he's all—he's always listening. You know, he, he's plenty of free time at the moment watching Brighton from the sidelines. So, so maybe he's tuning in too. <laughs> I hear uh, there's some teams looking for uh, for defenders right now. I mean, you know, Hertha—they barely have any center backs. So who knows? And I see a few a few pounds to spend. So demand for them. All right, I think we solved that problem. We're gonna be back with the best and the rest of Match Day 23 in just a minute here. But while I have you here, dear listener, please do subscribe your hearts out to the pod. Leave us a five-star rating to help us spread the word. It's a big help. And please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. We got tons of timeless content over there, including 34 episodes of historic Match Day moments, eight scandal episodes, and a whole lot more. Uh, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 23, and yeah, the three strongest teams in Germany's top flight all just flex their damn muscles at each other on Sunday. Each each one was racking up a big goal tally against a team in the bottom six. First, we had FC Bayern München. They were blasting past Kreuter Fürth for one, although it was a game that they went into halftime, a goal down. Then Dortmund, they proved that they were the big Borussia on the block, beating Mönchengladbach 6-0. And uh, finally, RB Leipzig cleaned Hertha BSA's clock, they erupted for five unanswered goals in the game's final 25 minutes. That was a 6-1 final in Berlin. But, you know, what if all that muscle flexing, all that spray tan, all that baby oil coming off the big three, doesn't really make them Mr. Universe? What if it's just the Bundesliga's best are only the best in the Bundesliga? That's kind of what I've been thinking after watching these games today knowing that all these sides earned pretty underwhelming results in Europe at midweek. Bayern, they were held to a 1-1 draw in like, a rather fortunate draw, actually, on their trip to Salzburg to face uh, Red Bull in the Champions League round of 16. Rasenball Sport, they were good at home against Real Sociedad in their Europa League playoff, but they couldn't protect two one-goal leads, ending up drawing 2-2. And then Dortmund, you know, the less said about their 4-2 blackout of a loss at the Westfalen against Rangers, the better. Okay, Ronan, I know that we are a Bundesliga podcast and we love us some Bundesliga here, but I am beginning to feel that things have taken a turn for the worse across the league. In Europe, you mean that's your your main concern that these teams aren't competitive, as competitive in Europe as they are in, in Germany? Is that your worry? Yeah, I mean... 
I feel like this this is sort of display of power that we saw from all three of these teams. I'm impressed. I you know these were these were not close games. These were not sort of games other than for for certain stretches we'll we'll talk about in a minute where the result was really very far in doubt. But when you lay that against the fact that they just basically played pretty indifferent football against three teams that one would think they would have a little bit more of a chance against in Europe, it feels kind of hollow. Yeah, maybe, but maybe it's a uh, a case of the fangs are, are now bared and whoever they were facing next to us going to be on the receiving end of a thumping. Perhaps that was what was in in line. I suppose we had to wait and see into the second legs what happens. And We know, looking back in previous years, that the Europa League maybe isn't as important to German clubs as it might be to, say, Spanish clubs or Italian clubs or whatever. It's not that important. And Bayern Munich, you could expect them to, to bounce back against... Salzburg, you would imagine that they'll, they'll turn things around there. I'm not really sure about Borussia Dortmund, but if Erling Haaland is back, it's a, it's a different proposition altogether. So it's kind of hard to say, and those results do make the Bundesliga look look weak in the eyes of the neutral. So, and especially with, like you're saying, followed up with these these matches. These are the best teams that the Bundesliga have to offer, and the other teams in the Bundesliga can't really compete with them when they're scoring four or six goals or. Or whatever, so yeah, it, it probably this week has probably been a bad advertisement for the Bundesliga, and it's followed up with with this at the weekend. But I suppose we can only hope that that the teams bounce back in the second legs, and and maybe a couple of them at least got through to the next round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't count anybody completely out. I mean, even even Dortmund, who <laughs> when you lose four two at home. That is a great way to screw yourself. But they uh, they can score goals in bunches. We've seen it again this Sunday. But I felt it was a little demoralizing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was, especially kind of following on from everything else that, that's kind of happening around Dortmund and with Dortmund on and off the pitch at the moment. It, it's the last thing they need, essentially. Well, more injuries was always the last thing they needed, and they had one of that with Claudio Reyna on, on Sunday. But yeah, they, they didn't need that result. I suppose the positive they can take from it is the fact that away goals is scrapped this year so it's essentially only a 2-0 defeat at the end of the day it's not necessarily that they put four goals fast you can look at it as a 2-0 defeat and that is a kind of result that Dortmund are capable of turning around especially if Erling Haaland's back yeah sure enough sure enough interesting you you called Gio Reyna Claudio <laughs> understandable <laughs> considering but uh, this is one way in which he might be taking after his father in the wrong way getting, getting, getting hurt a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's probably the Rangers connection coming in, in my head again. That, that that was all the talk during the week that that he will be going to Ibrox and and whatnot. But that looks like it's not the case that that Gio will be going to to his father's former hunting ground. Yeah, yeah. That's poor poor guy. After after spending so long out and basically getting to play like three games before, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we should probably talk about some of these games that actually happened on Sunday. It was, um, I think it was quite an entertaining set of games, that was for sure. We can start, I guess, with Bayern and their game against Fürth. Weird times. I mean, Bayern, one of the strongest home sides in the Bundesliga, failed to create a single clear-cut chance in the first half against Fürth. They were down 1-0. Going into uh, the the locker room at halftime, deflected free kick, of course, so somewhat fortunate on Fiat's part. And then, you know, Bayern come out of the interval, they shake off the dust immediately. 
scoring after like 30 seconds, end up winning 4-1. Robert Lewandowski scored two of those four goals in the second half. He's now back on pace with his record-setting goal-scoring tally from last season. How did you make this one out? Were you more surprised by the 1-0 at halftime or or the 4-1 in the end? Yeah, I think it was more surprised by the 1-0 at halftime. But if you look at it and what happened the events of the, the first half, I suppose you could maybe compare it a little to, to Ewan and Nagsman. You could compare him to Sean McVay with the Rams in the Super Bowl. The, he, a kind of a key player, got injured early and then he, he didn't really have a plan B for the next while. He had to kind of figure it out on the go. And with, with, with the Rams, it was obviously Odell Beckham going out. And with uh, Byron, it was Taliso going off injured again. And that made Julian Nagelsmann have to kind of change the shape of his team or, or kind of do a switch up in midfield. And that wasn't the plan he had going into the game. So I think they were adjusting on the fly and whatever changes he had in his mind and, and kind of reset the team at halftime after the, the, the deflected goal, which is, which is a very fortunate goal because Ulrich was diving the right way until it hit the man in the wall. So it, it was a, a fortunate goal but, and a surprising one. But I think Nagelman obviously said the right things and did the right things at, at halftime. And it was proved kind of immediately because I'm not sure if, if Ford even, even touched the ball in the second half before the ball was in the net. Maybe the first time they touched it was picking it out of the net and taking the kickoff. So it's Byron just being Byron at the, at the end of the day and they'll move on and they won't worry too much about this. And the only kind of headache they have is another injury in midfield because Talisa could be out now for, for a few weeks and that kind of goes on to the on top of the Goreska problems they have already. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's interesting. Well, let me back up here for, for a second. I, I want to congratulate you for, um, you know, being able to work in Sean McVay and the Rams Super Bowl uh, win this early in the podcast, you know. <laughs> Congratulations to you, one of one of the few Rams fans that I know. And that's, you know, OBJ and Corentin uh, Taliso, like – Six one half dozen the other. I do want to say though that in some ways, when Bayern made that change, you know that enforced change, bringing on Serge Gnabry for him, I, you know, the last you know fifteen minutes of the first half was not where they sort of got into gear, but certainly they looked at a different team in the second half, and a lot of the reason for that is that I felt that they just were willing to risk more and willing to sort of impose themselves in the final third against. Fürth. They basically overwhelmed them. And when you have as much going on up front as, as Bayern did with that addition of Gnabry, I think that that was just irresistible. Fürth was not able to deal with that. In, in some ways, maybe Bayern also made the gamble that, you know, the way that Fürth was set up, they didn't necessarily need to have as secure a midfield as they might against some teams. And uh, I, I felt the, the the change for you know Gnabry on for Toliso actually ended up benefiting Bayern quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Maybe they stopped going for the run and decided the passing was the way forward. A bit, a bit like the Rams, and they finally got over the line. In <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I, I heard the gears turning while I was talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just waiting for the chance to say that. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, kind of living off that success, even though it's a, a team thousands, thousands of miles away. It's a team that I've followed for, for many years and, and probably get the most enjoyment out of after, well, the most enjoyment and frustration after the Republic of Ireland national team. 
there, there, there's no team that I kind of have has me on the edge of the seat because as the listeners of the show will know, I don't support a specific Bundesliga team, so I'm neutral to them all, or maybe maybe hate them all equally, or, or love them all equally, depending on what day it is. Yeah, what do you make of Bayern's, I guess, mini trouble here at, at this juncture of the season? We've seen them, you know, have a pretty indifferent performance at midweek, where, as I said, they were. I guess a little fortunate not to go down two nil at one point and, you know, have a much steeper hill to climb to get back in that game, as well as seeing them basically get outplayed by Bochum last weekend. Fiat, of course, is, is a great team to bounce back against, but do you read anything into, you know, where things are for Bayern right now? I wouldn't necessarily. I think they always go through these sort of spells. Often it's at the start of seasons or, we see a manager sacked because of other, uh, things like that. But I think they always go through these sort of spells. And as long as they can keep the gap between them and the other teams and they can stay in Europe when they go through these spells, and I, I think they will. I probably wouldn't be too concerned for, for Nagelsmann. Obviously, he's frustrated after not maybe bringing in a signing or re- kind of refreshing the squad a little in, in January. But I think Bayern are just being frugal at the moment and not going to spend money just on a player for the sake of it and Nagelsmann will kind of have to do with what he has for the moment and that might be a good thing to give some of the younger players a, a bit of a chance or give Chupo Moting an extra few minutes and he stop at it with a great call at the end so it'll do his confidence a, a, a great kind of boost so yeah I, I think it's it's just a natural phase that we see of Bayern Munich every year they're not always perfect but they don't need to be perfect it's just they need to write out the, the kind of okay and, and poor spells and We've seen for the last nine years that they do that pretty well, so they shouldn't be worried. It's probably just a blip for them. Yeah, yeah. I still think that they are nailed on for uh, the Bundesliga title and still have a decent chance to move quite a good ways uh, beyond where they are now in the Champions League. Let's talk about a team that has significantly less rosy prospects in Europe, but was actually the probably the most dominant of the three teams who we saw today uh, on Sunday. That's that's Borussia Dortmund. I mean, maybe are they just like back to their infuriating like let's play a blinder every other game pattern? I mean, Gladbach looked like a, a lower league side against them this Sunday, and you know Marco Royce was a fireball. Two goals, three assists. One comment I saw from you was you, you seemed pretty pretty steamed with Emre John for messing things up at the end of this game. Yeah, I, I blame everyone for it because it would have been the perfect match. You already see the people saying that was a five-star performance because he, he was involved in five goals. But if Marco Rice was able to get a hat-trick of goals and a hat-trick of assists, it would have been kind of... It probably already is a historic performance from from a Borussia Dortmund point of view. It'll, it'll probably be going to the history books if if Terry DeFellin, friend of the podcast, writes an extra chapter. He he might add that bit into it. But it just would have been one for one for the ages, one for world football in general. That involved in all six goals with with, with three goals and three assists. And I was just disappointed that he didn't get to take the penalty. And I know it, it was nice of him to, to maybe give it to Emery Chan to, to build his confidence because that's a, that's a confidence booster for him and he may be not ha- having the best season himself. And it's nice to see the captain do that, but I, I'm not really interested in, in those those sort of small things in, 
from match to match. I, I want the bigger picture. I want to remember this forever. And a six goal input, three goals, three assists would have been kind of one that you'd be talking about forever. Oh, yeah. That's like a legit signpost where you can sort of say you were there on the day or you were you were watching when that happened when they show the highlights years down the line. I think this is it's, it's a great thing for Dortmund to get this kind of result after some some disappointment at midweek. But it's also infuriating <laughs> when we watch this team just look like a an, an EKG meter <laughs> from game to game. What do you think is actually holding Dortmund back? from having more games like this and less games like the one against Rangers. Yeah, I think Marco Rice called it mentality shit. Yeah, <laughs> mentality so, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's it. I think that, that's it. He, he's sick and tired of hearing about the, the mentality shit. But yeah, I think, that's what it, I think that's what it is. Maybe they don't have the belief that they're going to win every single game and their heads drop and there's a defensive mistake and that gets into their heads and then there's another defensive mistake and then they concede four goals to Rangers, which shouldn't really be happening. So it seems to be a bigger problem than who the players are on the pitch or whoever's in the dugout because it's going on years and years. We get different defenders coming in. We get Mats Hummels, obviously a class defender. He can be at the top of the world on his day and even bringing in him or no matter who's in the dugout as the head coach, it doesn't really make a difference. These problems seem to be kind of underlying with the team. It's hard to kind of to put your finger on what causes it. And is there, is there enough leadership and things like that? This get bandied about, or defenders good enough, or the tactics good enough, the coach is good enough. It's it's hard to find a solution, but the, this seems to be the problem that they have. And then you get games like like Sunday where they can put six against Borussia Mönchengladbach and and look like they could beat any team in the world. Then you get games like like Thursday where they they couldn't kick snow on off a rope as the saying goes. So. It, they seem to go from game to game and hopefully for their sake they can get two games in a row because they have Rangers coming up next so they, they kind of need to to cop themselves on essentially and, and do something in that game especially a tricky away game at, at Ibrox which is always kind of an intimidating atmosphere for any team yeah sure some people used to say the Westfalen Stadion was, was intimidating it just you know it just wasn't on Thursday I want to talk a little bit about Gladbach this has been an absolutely disastrous season for this team, not only from the perspective of them being way, way down the table and way too close to the relegation zone for comfort, but, you know, spending a bunch of money on Adi Hütter, it not really working out. Max Abel basically burning out and uh, stepping away from football for a while just to sort of preserve his, his mental and physical health. How much trouble do you see them actually in as far as the remainder of the season? You know, they're not in, in the same danger zone as, as some other big clubs like Stuttgart or, or Hertha might be in, but it's not looking very good for them right now. They could very easily find themselves in a much uglier place. Yeah, they could. And it kind of seems unimaginable that a team 12 months ago was preparing for a knockout tie in the Champions League could be in danger of relegation but I suppose you look at Schalke in recent years and that was kind of their trajectory too so Borussia Mönchengladbach they should have a squad that's good enough to stay above the teams around them unlike when Schalke went down we could see that their squad was dreadful they were relying on American wonder kids to, to score hat-tricks to get results for them 
and uh, we, we saw what how that ended up. But uh, I suppose Gladbach have their own American goal undercated of their own who hooked them well. But they they should have the squad to turn things around. And I see people saying that Adi Hooter should should go after after this result against Borussia Dortmund. But the problems are much bigger than him. It doesn't it wouldn't really matter who the coach is. And after spending so much money on him, I think they'll give him the time until the end of the season. And, see how that goes because they're in a full rebuild mode at the moment they've lost players they're losing players and they kind of need to start from scratch and as long as they can stay up and continue to be brush and munch and glad back a kind of a a known quantity or known entity and keep some key players Jan Sommer maybe Nighthouse or Hoffman in, in, in midfield keep these kind of reliable guys that that you have they can build a squad around them and maybe integrate some of the, the young players, Joe Scally, and hopefully Connor Noss, to, my, my fellow Irishman, might get, get a few more minutes. But I think it's going to be a difficult few weeks for them the next few weeks and months. But they should have enough to stay up and then they need to look at where they, they go next because it's it could be a, a difficult summer for them as well, considering that the, the new sporting director kind of has to take the reins from a man that's such a club legend and was such a huge figure on and off the pitch for so many years at Borussia Mönchengladbach and their big shoes to fill and he kind of ran everything himself so stepping into Max Eberl's shoes are going to be difficult and he, he kind of brought so much relative success to the team that they kind of maybe might have to to, to temper their expectations somewhat and, and then consolidate them their place in the league for a couple of seasons and then look at going back into Europe again. Yeah, it's a real tough pill to swallow. Not only for for Gladbach fans, which you know they've they've had a really good last ten twelve years, but for fans of, of traditional clubs. I mean, this is one of those success stories that we were you know pointing to in the Bundesliga that you know other other big you know storied clubs could sort of point to as like. It is possible. You don't have to be Hoffenheim or Leipzig or whatever to, to sort of get ahead in this league. You just have to have somebody as good as Max Averill in charge. And, you know, this, the new guy, this, this Robert Virkus, I don't think anybody really knows what to make of him. He had, doesn't have enough of a track record in the public eye for anybody to know what he's really all about. But uh, he's got a huge job ahead of him in in the coming months and years. Okay, we, I want to switch gears and talk about the last uh, of the three games. I want to talk about um, <laughs> Leipzig, uh, who were a bit like Bayern on Sunday. They took their time before, you know, turning green and, and busting out of their jeans and going all Hulk smash. It was a 1-1 game until Mark Oliver Kempf more or less rugby tackled Christopher Nkunku, who then scored the ensuing penalty. Scored again. Five goals unanswered after that red card for Hertha. Ouch. Leipzig are, are pretty much the form team in the league right now. They did make up a little bit of ground on Leverkusen, who we'll, we'll address a little bit later in the show. Do you think they're going to get past Leverkusen and get into third, maybe even into second? I think it's certainly possible. And you look at the job Tedesco has done since he's, he's come in and, and the way that the players speak about the kind of night and day experience of playing under Jesse Marsh and then playing under Tedesco and how they're enjoying it more that it doesn't have the same the same kind of basketball qualities I think Angelino called them uh, as playing under Marsh and they seem to be a much more dynamic and a, a much more interesting side to watch apart from when they're playing in Europe but they, they look to be the team that we thought they would be and they thought we thought they could be despite 
I suppose some of the big names leaving in the summer they look like they could be the team that I've said before on the show and other people have said that are the kind of long-term challengers for Bayern Munich at the top of the table for the Bundesliga title because they have this excellent conveyor belt of talent and they have the right money well they have money I'm not, not going to make judgments here on whether it's right money or wrong money but if you listen to Vasek which is all you know, you'll know what I, I think of um, the, the, the drinks club we're talking about at the moment but yeah they, they seem to be going about things from a sporting perspective the right way and it's just going to be up and up for them you would think so if they can finish this season strongly they definitely should get a, a Champions League spot and that's kind of minimum expectation for them at the moment I think they could end up passing Leverkusen certainly and if Dortmund continue to be the up and down side that we see now and then they could pass them too well, I definitely wouldn't rule it out yeah I did say earlier in my preamble to this discussion that like you know it was a bit of a slow start. They didn't sort of uh, take over the game. But when they did, it was just so blinding. I mean, you know, being a, with a man advantage certainly certainly helped. But they just flipped a switch. And they they hit the, the nitrous tank and basically zoomed off into the stratosphere. I mean, Christopher Nkunku had those two goals in rapid succession. He came off. And Danny Olmo basically picked up exactly where Nkunku left off. It was really, really telling that uh, they just basically have a team and a half or two teams much better than uh, Hertha BSA, who are really, really screwed right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think I think it just takes a while for the energy drinks to, to kick in. I think that, that might be it. Sure, <laughs> that, that, that could be a problem. But the, the red card just changed everything. It just kind of handed advantage to, to Leipzig and after that, Hertha, their heads dropped and they could have even, even had a second red card and it was turned into a yellow with, with the video referee and that was probably the right decision. But at the same time, you, you probably could have argued either way for it. And I think Hertha, their problems, as you well know, are kind of very big and when things go wrong, that kind of gets in on you a bit and the momentum changes and... It's hard to dig yourself out of that hole, especially when you're t- playing a team of, of Leipzig's talent and Leipzig's depth. Like you say, you look at the players they brought off, off the bench. Almo came on for a goal and two assists. And then Andre Silva, he kind of was involved in the f- final goal, I think it was. Oh, no, it was, it was almost uh, the fourth goal. Mm-hmm. Andre Silva was, pa- was parried out, out to Almo. Yeah. So when you have players like that to come off the bench, it's a bit different from the the kids with no Bundesliga experience that were on Hertha's bench on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was a game that I think very few Hertha fans and perhaps even Hertha players thought they were necessarily going to get a result out of. But everything went wrong, even in the lead-up to this game, where they had, I think, six players out with uh, positive corona tests that came in the last day and a half before the game. Yeah, this is beginning to be a very, very uh, worrisome season in that it seems like Freddie Bobic, their sporting director, made a pretty serious diagnosis early on that this was going to be a season where all they wanted to do was stay in the league, but he was pretty sure that they had the horses to get there. And he might have bet wrong. This squad is just so bereft of real quality. (laughs) 
<laughs> when they come up against teams like Leipzig, it's it seems unfair. Yeah, I think so. Some of the horses have been stuck in the stables probably isn't isn't a good one for them because it, because they have illness, so many illnesses. And when you don't have your best eleven against a team like Leipzig, you know there's it's going to be troublesome. And I think the the biggest kind of takeaway from a Hertha point of view is the fact that it was a five ball swing, and that's just terrible for for their goal difference. And then to now have the second worst goal difference of the teams in the relegation battle, only Ford have a have a worse one and I think only Ford have conceded more goals in, in 20, 21, 22 than Hertha. So it's just looking very difficult for them. They'll, they'll need a lot of moments of magic from, from the overtake up front, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hope springs eternal and all that, but uh, not a lot of it. Okay, who's your who's your MVP of Sunday? I mean, Marco Royce, probably the strongest choice. Robert Lewandowski, he's uh, not bad. Christopher Nkunku, yeah, I think it, I think it has to be right. It, it kind of goes without saying, but maybe I might deduct points off him and, and decide to award it to someone else because of the, that that sixth goal that he didn't take the penalty. I, I, I might refuse to to ever acknowledge his existence again after after that. It, it just it just disappointed me on, on such a level that I may not be ever able to recover. <laughs> Serious appreciator of ruthlessness. Ronan Murphy. All right, we'll be back with part two of this show. Okay, here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. We're going to start off with, um, you know, the team that sort of mixed in among those big three teams, which we kind of referred to a moment ago. Bayer Leverkusen still enjoy a slight advantage, one that is now down to four points over RB Leipzig. They are ensconced in third place, but uh, things are getting a little dicey after their 3-2 loss against Mainz. Any particular takeaways from this game? This this seemed to me to be a really, really important win for Mites, not only because their form has been a little patchy lately, but like this is a high-quality win against a, a Leverkusen side that has been, hey, they're in third place. What, what, what more do I need to say? Yeah, it was, and it was kind of impressive how they battled back from going behind twice to, to take all, all three points and... Now, I suppose they find themselves knocking on the door of Europe. If they could move above Freiburg or Cologne, one of the teams around them, they could be kind of keeping an eye on the uh, the DFB Pokal to see who might be winning that and help them to qualify for Europe. It's not that much of a kind of pipe dream anymore. It's a, it's a realistic aim or maybe even to qualify automatically and end up in the Conference League or something could be a realistic aim for Mainz and maybe people wouldn't have thought that at the start of the season but it just shows how well that Bo Svensson has done with them kind of at the, the second half of last season and this season so far he, he just seems destined for bigger and better things and qualifying for Europe may be the only way they can keep him to be honest yeah, yeah, I, I would be very interested to see how long he sticks around at Mainz. It, it seems to me that what with the pedigree of coaches uh, at Mainz over the years, he will know that he's uh, going to be in the shop window a little bit. But I think he'll also know that the the likes of Jurgen Klopp and uh, Thomas Tuchel built 
a little bit of a resume at Mainz before, you know, moving on to bigger things. So I think he would be smart to stick around as long as things keep improving at Mainz, which I, I generally think they are. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think the same. And the, the big takeaway on the other side of this match is obviously the injury to, to Patrick Schick because he's, yes. he's been kind of neck, neck and neck with, with Lewandowski and the, well, maybe not neck and neck. He, he may be uh, a small bit behind, maybe half a furlong in our horse metaphors or something. But yeah, he's he's had such a great season and, and the second player in in the Europe's top five goals to to twenty or top five leagues to twenty goals is is definitely a great statistic and and just shows the impact he's having. And it, it could be a big loss for for Leverkusen for the next few weeks. Yep, yep. It'll be interesting to see if they ever, uh, you know, blow the dust off of uh, Serdar Osmun, this, you know, player who they spent a bunch of money on in the winter break, while also deciding to hold on to Lucas Alario, who, you know, of course, can contribute goals sometimes. Maybe they'll actually have to play the guy. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in, because I suppose we t- thought at the time when they when they signed him that they pushed forward this transfer. It was a, it was a good chance for him to kind of bet in with the club and, and get experience and, and see what the Bundesliga was all about and maybe get his, his first taste of goal or a few goals to kind of lead in nicely into, into next season. But Leverkusen are, are being forced perhaps to use him earlier than expected, although Alario came off the bench to, to score against Mainz. So Alario may be first man up and we'll see does Asmund get the, the minutes he needs over the next few weeks or, or will it just be Alario even though he's probably leaving the summer. Yeah, I can't blame Alaria or Asmoon for not getting as many minutes as they want because getting past Patrick Schick in a pecking order, not going to happen, fellas. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Hoffenheim's win over Wolfsburg. You know, we talked last week and probably even the week before on the podcast about the, uh, you know, the, the luck or the curse of uh, Max Kruse, you know, uh, Wolfsburg coming out of the gate quite strongly, uh, having signed him and Union faltering a bit. That wore off for Wolfsburg this week. They they surrendered a 1-0 lead against Hoffenheim to lose 2-1. And uh, probably the most notable thing about this was one goal. Yeah, yeah. I saw I you mean Jonas Finn's first goal of his Bundesliga career. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was pretty sweet, though. It was, it was, that wasn't good. If they had won, we might have been talking about it. Yeah, yeah. It was a lovely team move, and obviously Max Cruz was, was involved in, mm-hmm. in that again. But uh, obviously you're talking about the, the Brun Larsen goal for Hoffenheim. It was just a fantastic acrobatic finish that I was known for in my own day when I used to play football. I thought, I thought you were going to give my leg just one more tug and talk about Andre Kramer in this couple, but eh, you know, that's okay. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to be unpredictable in this game. You can't be too obvious all the time. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Jakob Brunlassen, not aware that he had that in his locker. I thought that was uh, a shocking, a shocking turn of events. Did he mean it? <laughs> that could be the question. I, I, you know, I think he did. And I think, you know, the number of times when players try scissor kicks, bicycles, overheads, whatever, and don't do it, like, maybe it's just the law of averages, man. Like, whoever it is, like, they, those those only come off, like, one in 50 times. So he, he's, he's just the guy that, that it worked for. 
Yeah, I think maybe he, he stole Lewandowski's yeah. this weekend because Lewandowski tried one himself and kind of half, he missed the ball. It, it's not something you expect from Lewandowski. So so maybe Bruno Larson stole his magic just for, for one weekend. Yes, indeed. Okay, then we, we can talk about the other side of the uh, the Cruza equation. That is uh, FC Union Berlin. They did continue to lose or at least not get results without their former talisman. They were 1-0 losers in Bielefeld. Are you willing to read in to, uh, you know, minus Cruza that the sauce is, is not quite there anymore? Or is that just a little too facile? No, I think I'm reading fully into it. I think there are a few players with the technical ability and the build-up kind of play that Cruza has. And I remember kind of saying at the time when when Cruza left that it would be a huge loss for Onion. And I want to kind of he would be the the immediate player to feel the effects of it that after having such a great first half of the season he wasn't going to get among the goals as often as he would anymore and I think we've seen that in the last few weeks obviously they're trying something different and they probably will bounce back and they have so many points already that's not kind of a case that they're going to be dragged into any relegation battle or anything like that but so that gives them kind of wiggle room to figure out where to go minus Cruiser but yeah, he's he's such a huge loss, I suppose, as a presence on the as a his ability and the kind of just the person he is, the the, the kind of the personality he is is such a a big loss on and off the field for Union that no no team could replace a player like that, especially not a team like Union that isn't a team of superstars essentially. Yeah, I'm quite interested too in uh, you know Bielefeld and their. Rise. I mean, what were they? They went unbeaten in what was it, six or seven games before dropping, but uh, got right back on the horse this week. I feel like there might be some staying power to that uh, rise that we've all been thinking about. Yeah, I think the reason and their goal difference looks good compared to the teams around them, and I, I suppose they know that they have these results in them, and they they have these performances, and and Vimmer especially playing fast, fantastically. Well, at the moment, I'm, I'm disappointed that I didn't bring him into him. I still haven't brought him into my fantasy Bundesliga side and kind of kicking myself over that. But that might be one I have to rectify in, in another few weeks because I, I think they will kind of pick up these sort of results every week, every game or two. And it'll help them kind of consolidate their position and they'll, they'll kind of finish comfortably above the relegation zone. Okay, another result that was a 1-0 final, uh, Cologne. They were 1-0 winners over Eintracht in the uh, the top spiel. I guess the main headline there was uh, Anthony Modest, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think, think Anthony Modest, bloody hell, kind of sums up most Cologne games this season. And and I like the fact that Baumgart was asked after, is it a father-son relationship they have? And he was quick to dismiss that. But he says that he gets on all right with him, just like he does with the rest of the players. So I'd say Modest is, uh, as we know from the, the scenes a few, a few months ago where he, he stole his coach's cap, I'd say he's a, he's a, a fun guy from the outside to watch but maybe not having to work with him on a daily basis, that kind of might wind you up a little, probably like I do to some of my colleagues now and then. So so I think Modest, as long as he continues to score and continues to entertain him, he's a great for the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. And seeing that footage we saw a couple of weeks ago of Baumgart at home, 
<laughs> it was a little alarming seeing that uh, he can't turn that part of himself off, the, the, the sort of shouting, hyperactive, hypertension side of himself. So maybe he's probably a, a good boss in a certain sort of way, but um, might, might wear thin over time. Yeah, yeah well, the, the biggest takeaway for me is he still wears the hat when he's in the house. Yeah, it seemed to me that that might have been that might have been a level of contrivance. Okay, any thoughts about Eintracht? You know, they after having a really good run to start the Rückrunde, they've gone off the boil in the last couple of weeks. Any idea as to why why that is? No, I think they're just one of those teams that are kind of an essentially mid-tail team that'll have good results one week and bad results the next week, but they're unlikely to be brilliant or terrible and it's just kind of the the the, the way that the everything falls that some weeks they're going to, to win and some some weeks they don't I think it's just one of these teams that at the moment there aren't that memorable and maybe they need to to, to get their some stars of their own in and I know Costage is obviously a fantastic player and, and some of the new signings have, have impressed but you can't kind of have Hinteregger being beaten for pace by a 33 year old really because uh, you're playing such a high line uh, and letting Cologne beat you on their way. These are just problems that they're going to have. They're, they're not really a team that are going to score more than the opposition, so they kind of have to be to be more more wary of their, their opponents and, and maybe more careful than, than the opponents and, and not let things like that happen. But I suppose that's that's still the Martin Hinteregger life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, you, live, you live by Hinteregger, you die by Interregger sometimes. Okay, another result that looked for all the world like it was going to be uh, a 1-0 result, but turned into a 1-1 result, much to the chagrin of uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo and the rest of uh, VfB uh, Stuttgart. Yeah, they surrendered that 1-0 lead that they had held for such a long time in the game after you know Bochum uh, won a penalty in the dying minutes. This has got to hurt so much for this team, considering what they've been through this season, considering they lost Silas out for the season in this game. It's just kind of one gut punch after another for, for Stuttgart this year. Yeah, I don't think they were they were loving it from that late penalty anyway. But uh, yeah, they, they, it, it's just kind of one injury after another. And when they get players back, Silas comes back and then he gets injured and collides it maybe isn't up to speed yet. And they're obviously trying Tiago Thomas to the wonder kid they've got on loan, but yeah, it's a, it's just kind of one of them disappointing seasons where everything seems to be going against them. So it's going to be difficult. And, and a win against Bochum probably would have been great for from mentality and confidence reasons, but it wasn't to be. And now they still find themselves looking up at it, almost every other team in the table, and it's a hard place to be, and especially it's a hard place to be for a team and as notable and and as well supported Stuttgart. Okay, let's let's round out the show with uh, the the last game we we have not yet touched on. That's Augsburg and Freiburg. Freiburg very early in this game got themselves on the board. Nils Peterson, oddly enough, not as a substitute as a starter, scoring early. Cats and dogs sleeping together. All that being said, this is not a hugely shocking result for me. I, I felt like this was was most likely going to be uh, an open and shut case in, in Freiburg's favor. Yeah, I think the only thing it could have been maybe it was a one-all draw or a two-all draw or something. But I, I don't think Augsburg were going to take too much from it. And 
and when Nils Peterson scored after four minutes, you knew the writing was on the wall right then because they didn't even need him to come on as a sub to, to win the game. They were already kind of heading that direction. And, and I the, the thing is, Schlotterbeck getting his third goal of the season and kind of helping his position a bit more in the in the shop window. All these stats kind of add up and maybe add a, a few extra euro on his value when they do sell him in the summer and could end up being good for for Freiburg to get in a bit more money and maybe reinvest. Yeah, yeah, that is the Freiburg way. That's all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice having you back on the pod, Ronan. It was my pleasure. Always uh, enjoyable to uh, have a chat to you and talk Bundesliga and uh, just just generally catch up. Indeed, indeed. Every, and, you know, as I mentioned at the, the beginning of the pod, he is listeners' favorite guest. You know him, you love him from Twitter at Swear I'm Not Paul, as well as from his work on goal.com. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Talking Foosball Extra is coming up in a couple of days. And Talking Foosball Fantasy will be back to get you ready for Match Day 24. This is Nixon Mullio. 